Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teaching Writing in College. I am Tom Skeen, and this podcast is about um, teaching writing in college, of course. The driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And now it is the... uh, we're in a post-semester mode. I'm in a post-semester mode, and I've uh, needed a little bit of time to get some grading done and do a few things with with the kids as I get ready for summer. I've uh, transitioned into a different role where I am thinking about the future, thinking about my uh, classes that I will have in the fall, and thinking about some things I would like to do. And then I'm also participating in other professional activities, including some scholarship and the podcast. I want to keep using or doing the podcast over the summer. I'll try to spend some time getting some episodes out uh, just to kind of reflect on things and also to, you know, consider some of the larger issues that are out there right now, like chat GPT and artificial intelligence. And of course, lots of other topics that I'd like to cover uh, in the podcast moving forward. One of those is the Elon statement on writing transfer. Um, In a few previous episodes, I've been concentrating a lot on conceptual knowledge, which is one of the main recommendations, one of the main enabling practices that the Elon statement promotes. And so I want to make sure that we cover that really well. And I also want to get into practice, another important uh, enabling practice from the Elon statement where students practice using concepts and skills and then metacognition and so on. So I want to keep going through that. And along the way, I will try to tie it to other things that are happening in higher ed right now. And uh, um, we'll just keep going. So anyway, today's episode, I thought I would just kind of uh, put together a little bit of a reflection on what was going on toward the end of the semester. And uh, it's not a very big one. It's a little bit spontaneous, but uh, I would just like to show what I did uh, during the last week of class. So the first thing I'd like to cover is what I did a few days before my students' final project, and then what I did on the last day of class, and then also a reflection on my teaching. Uh, So it's a metacognitive exercise for me as a teacher. One thing that I like to do, you know, uh, we're always talking about how do we help our students the most, and uh, as I have been thinking about the Elon statement on writing transfer and uh, Um, as I've used it in scholarship and as I've used it in my teaching, one thing that I've really come to appreciate about it is that it's not just for students. Um, It's also for teachers or anybody really who, who needs to learn something, you know, conceptual knowledge, practice, metacognitive reflection. Those are important for any learning. And of course, we're going to apply it to writing. So, uh, and teaching writing, of course. And so to get started, um, English 106 is one of the classes. It's a first-year writing class at Grand Canyon University. A lot of students take it. Um, It's uh, English 2. It's our version of English 2 at GCU. And so this slide is just from, you know, the PowerPoint that I used. I always start with a a slide that just has the title of the course on it. And I started students out with this. Uh, it's just kind of an exercise that I ask students to do about my writing. You know, one of the recommendations of the Elon statement is that instructors model uh, what they want students to do. And, um, you know, I've talked about a lot of skills. Students have practiced a lot of skills in class. And so um, I have this slide. 
Now, the top of it, just for uh, some explanation, this uh, it's almost kind of a class motto. Um, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but what happens in English 106 happens everywhere else. I use that in all of my writing classes, I think, especially, you know, uh, freshmen. Um, it's kind of an easy thing for them to remember, and I have them repeat it all the time uh, just because I think it's a really good way to kind of inculcate just the mindset that, you know, whatever we're doing in this class is happening everywhere else, and they should expect uh, to see it everywhere else. And so I, you know, spend all semester, even just with little things like this, I would have taken this slide uh, in class. I probably did this. I can't remember now because it's been a couple of weeks, but I almost always do this. If I put this uh, motto or this quote on a slide, I always have them repeat it, and we just do it like a like a class motto. Uh, but the idea, of course, is that uh, over the semester, they just know that that's really what the class is about. It's what they're doing everywhere else, including their majors, including, you know, any anticipated career they might be going into, any writing that they might be doing with their friends or their loved ones on social media or wherever it is. We're looking for places where we're using these skills. And so um, that's what I did here. And it's kind of hard to see. And uh, during class, I would zoom in. I don't know if I can hear um, I'm holding a microphone and it's hard to hold the mouse, but uh, this is an outline of a book chapter that I've written. And uh, one thing I like to do sometimes after I've got a, a bunch of material for a chapter, I like to kind of go through it paragraph by paragraph and just create a big outline so I can see uh, what I'm doing. And so I made a copy of that and I brought it in to class and I can zoom in on this and uh, just ask them to... Uh, uh, take a look at it. So the uh, just a brief uh, exercise here. It doesn't have to be a big one or a long one, but um, I just explained, you know, I've got some revising to do. Each line represents a paragraph in my first chapter of a book, and I've probably talked to them about this before. I'm writing this outline to get an overview of what I've done so I know how to make it flow better. In other words, the skills we are learning don't just happen in English 106. As they know, they happen everywhere else. So what skill from English 106 do you think I could use to structure this better? And so in this case, you know, I might zoom in and have them take just a brief look at it. And really what I'm fishing for is just um, uh, to get them to name one of the skills that uh, we've been learning and practicing all semester long. And that's part of what their participation is about. I would ask them, in, just as an individual, just to write down a brief answer to this question and just, uh, you know, maybe give them a minute or two to do that and just show them some of this uh, material along the way. I'm going to try to zoom in on it here. I can't zoom in like I thought I could. I'm uh, working with new software, so I, uh, I'm still learning how to use it. Oops. And then uh, just as a quick follow-up, also just for participation, just individually, it's just another opportunity to practice maybe one more time. Um, and also at this point, I forgot to mention, they are about to turn in their last major project. And so um, this is meant kind of as a review uh, for them. And so um, uh, this is what I did a few days before my students' final project. And so after they do that, you know, this, this – uh, exercise with my book chapter, then what I want them to do is just hopefully come up with the concept of familiar to unfamiliar, uh, which I'll have to talk about sometime on the podcast, but it's about organization. It's about giving the audience something that 
they are familiar with before you give them new information. That's uh, one of the ways that writing works. It's something that I adapted from uh, the Ramage Bean and Johnson Allen and Bacon Guide to Writing. Um, and uh, I use it all the time because it's a really great principle for organizing writing. And so um, that's what it was about. And then I have them practice it here where I have taken a paragraph. You can see a reference to uh, uh, this um, uh, article. This was a profile. Uh, and you can see that over there on the right-hand side. But uh, what I did is I took some material from that and I scrambled it and asked them to just uh, revise the excerpt uh, by using that concept of familiar to unfamiliar. So the central question, and they should know this, you know, by the end of the semester, is um, what information needs to come earlier in this passage so that other information makes sense to the reader later? So what does the f reader have to be familiar with earlier so that newer, unfamiliar information can be uh, uh, digested or um, comprehended by the audience better so they don't get confused. And so uh, this is a really great strategy. It works with all kinds of writing from recipes to comics to uh, journal articles or texts or whatever it is. So I'd have them go through and just rewrite this. And sometimes to make it shorter I might uh, just uh, number it and then have them rewrite the order of the numbers if I want to go faster. And then next, of course, is one of the main reasons why we are there today. It's to get ready for, you know, for them to turn in their final project. And at this time, they've, you know, done some peer reviewing. They've done some drafting. They've got, you know, most of their project done. And the idea here is uh, going to be to uh, review what's been going on with that project. And so I have them create a numbered list. And then... Um, it's a self-assessment, and I, I, I cast it kind of a, as a true-false quiz, but I tell them it's not actually a quiz. Um, but uh, what you do is you answer true-false or in-between to some statements that I'm going to put on the screen. And true means that you have high confidence in your ability with a skill because each uh, question or each statement is about a skill that we've learned and how it applies directly to their current project. False means you don't understand it or you have little to no confidence with the skill. Or in between means that you are maybe uncomfortable with the skill, but you think you can do it. You know, somewhere in between there. And then I uh, just go ahead and start it, and uh, I just uh, have them go through these one at a time. There are about maybe thirty-five or so uh, that I have, and they go fairly quickly. I just read them out loud and have the students answer, and then I put the PowerPoint up in the learning management system so that they can retrieve it later if they feel like they want to review. If they have some that are false or if they have some that are in between and they want to review those and just remind themselves of what they were answering, they can do that. Do I have an 11 on there? I do. I, I was able to squeeze a lot onto this one slide. But then I have a few more slides of it. So that's uh, what we did. You know, the class period before their material was due. So their project was uh, at this point due a couple of days later. Just another, you know, one last uh, review before they turn it in. One last self-assessment, I should say. And then um, another one that I had was, uh, th now this, uh, we're transitioning to the last day of class. Uh, and uh, one thing I thought I would do there is just bring up Aristotle again. Because one thing I really like about Aristotle and his uh, very 
well-worn and famous quote about the available means of persuasion. I like the way that he casts it as the faculty or the capacity to discover. He doesn't say that it's uh, uh, the ability to persuade. He says it's the ability or the capacity or the faculty to discover in any given case, the available means of persuasion. And so he's all about expanding one's capacities, which I really like. Um, I think it fits really nicely with um, education in terms of, uh, you know, what can we add uh, to uh, a student's um, knowledge set or skill set so that they can use it later. So I really like that word capacity, and I talk about this every once in a while during the semester. I bring it in and just remind them that that's what we're doing. And so then we do some uh, review at the end. So what was your capacity, I'm asking them, your knowledge about writing before you started English 106? And I have them go back to a post that I had them put in the learning management system on the very first day of class. I asked them this question, what do you know about writing? What are your capacities right now? Those kinds of things. And I just have them go back in there and find that uh, and uh, review it a little bit and maybe just do a brief summary of what they said at the beginning from day one. Then after that, list all the skills and vocabulary you can remember from English 106. And so now it's about what they've gained in terms of their capacities. What do they remember from the course? What key concepts stand out to them? And so on and so forth. Then uh, after that, they I always ask them, you know, do you want me to put stuff on the board? Do you want me to go through this too to, so we can talk about all the things we've learned? and. And they say yes, and so I do, and so I go through and I list everything that I can remember uh, that we've learned, and you know I keep track of it in my head. Of course, I keep track of it on a list, and I just kind of do it spontaneously here. But uh, this is what I came up with um, this time. One thing that uh, we spend a lot of time doing in English 106 is stasis theory, and uh, so a lot of that is in there. But then lots of other things like um, uh, summaries and narratives; those are really great. Uh, sort of mini genres that uh, work with a lot of genres that students might use in the future. Um, genre, of course, probably this core or central concept. I've been talking to them about that all semester, about how that's the core concept. And uh, we spent a lot of time doing what I like to call a rocks analysis on different genres. And I try to find real world ones that fit with whatever their majors are. You know, I know what their majors are. I've asked them about that and kept lists of it. I've asked them about what they anticipate doing in their careers. And, you know, if somebody says that uh, they're going to be a nurse, I go out and I try to find uh, different kinds of things that nurses would write, or I go try to find thing, things that uh, coders or, or IT professionals would write, or whoever it is, or whatever it is they're doing. And then uh, um, all of the argument types, of course. Um, I like to talk about evidence, and I bring that back. Uh, quite a bit. We talk about uh, Richard Fulkerson's star criteria, and they get comfortable with sufficiency, typicality, accuracy, and relevance, and how those are dependent on audience, so they can make judgments about evidence. Structure, familiar to unfamiliar, of course. And I've got several other uh, structural strategies in there. Style, uh, different things that could influence style. Uh, park, uh, proximity, alignment, repetition, and contrast. That provides visual structure and helps guide readers' attention. Uh, this thing I call the penny principle, I'll have to introduce you to that sometime. That's about, most of the time, it's about citing sources and about finding their own model to follow, just like um, if you try to draw a penny without a model to follow, um, you 
might not remember which way Abraham Lincoln's face is facing, or you might not remember where to place the year or what uh, uh, motto is at the top, uh, things like that. But if you do have a penny, uh, you can replicate it pretty well. And so the same thing is true of uh, citing sources in any format. So I use that instead of trying to teach APA directly, I use the penny principle to teach students to teach themselves. And I encourage them to go try other ones too. Like I get a lot of students who, who come and say that they are well-versed in MLA because that's what was required in high school. And then uh, I encourage them to, we try out APA. Uh, that's uh, one that we use quite a bit on my campus. But then I also have them branch out and find ones that they would use, uh, whether it's the American Medical Association or Chicago or, you know, whatever's related to their major, what they might use in their major. Um, technical writing, conveying technical information to various audiences. I like to have that in there um, because that happens, you know, even if somebody isn't a technical writer per se. Um, if you have any kind of specialized knowledge, even if it isn't technical, even if it's not about technology, you know, if it's about business or it's about something else, I see all the time experts, you know, having to uh, convey that technical or uh, sort of esoteric understanding to people who don't know as much. Um, presence um, from uh, Perlman, I really like to use that one a lot, and uh, that's really good for a lot of different kinds of writing. Conditions of learning, I like them to uh, know about that. Those are from the Elon statement, conceptual knowledge, practice, metacognitive, and enabling disposition. Uh, we use that, you know, because it gives purpose to what we do in class, so I like to, you know, help them just remind them that, you know, you need to do this. You need to have conceptual knowledge if you're going to learn. And then we also apply it in their other classes. And so I don't just limit it to this. There will be times when uh, in a writing course I will uh, take some time out and have them review the conceptual knowledge they're learning in their other classes or how they are practicing it or how do they can make a plan to practice it more. Um, have them reflect on their knowledge from those other classes and their knowledge of writing in those other classes and so on. So that's a pretty good list. That's most of what we probably covered. And then I asked them the question, what's one question you have about what we've learned? And so, you know, I'll take a minute, a minute to do a Q&A. And it's the last day of class, and so sometimes they're kind of quiet. But um, I like to ask questions like this, too, just for some clarification for them um, if they need it. And then um, I spend some time with them, and I give them some time just on their laptops to and do this last thing. So pick a skill from our list, find an example of that skill in one of your English 106 projects or a project for another class. And so maybe uh, they would pick something like um, uh, a way that they uh, used PARC, proximity, alignment, repetition, and contrast, you know, because sometimes in other classes they might have to, the assignment might be to do a brochure or something like that, and then they can uh, uh, use that put a comment on that project that highlights the example and defines the skill. So they go and they find something that's got that skill where they can see it and then highlight that. Say, okay, here's the skill and uh, here's the definition of that skill just so that they have it later. They have something that they can reference later for them. And then how do you carry this into the future? Um, I uh, give them a few minutes to create a folder or keep a folder with English 106 materials and then all their other stuff too um, in there. 
take pictures of your notes, you know, because I do a lot of handwritten notes as well. They can uh, take pictures of those and put it in the folder. Keep a list of our skills in your folder. Collect projects from your classes. Put notes about English 106 skills on them like we just did. And then uh, give them an opportunity, number five, uh, if they think of an additional way in which they could uh, maintain their material, then they could uh, do that as well. And so I give them a minute just to get started on this because it's kind of a comprehensive thing that uh, takes a long time. And uh, um, I'd like to just get them started on it. And then another reflection briefly. How have your capacities, your knowledge about writing, and your ability to use that knowledge expanded in the last 15 weeks or so? Just one or two sentences just to sort of contrast that with what they said at the beginning of the semester because now they've had a chance to look at what they've done. They have a chance to see the skills we've learned and to see how they've applied them in various places. Just a couple of sentences there. And then uh, one time, uh, just uh, again, I didn't actually do this one, but um, sometimes individual practice, remember all the vocabulary you can from your other classes too. I like to you know, tell them, look, your other classes are important. My class is important, of course, and so are all of your other classes. I want you to be successful in all of them. So what can you remember from those classes as you're getting ready for exams or whatever? And thank them for a great semester, and away we go. Um, so the third thing I wanted to cover for this episode of teaching writing in college is just a reflection uh, of my own as an instructor and uh, what did I do, what would I do better next time. Uh, so there's the list again. But um, one thing that I think I would like to do uh, is uh, bring more about commonplaces from their disciplines in because uh, you know, commonplaces are really important, you know, just common ways of thinking, common things that people say about things. That's really kind of one of the ways to learn about the discipline. It's one of the inroads into whatever kinds of writing are being done uh, and whatever kinds of uh, knowledge they need to have. And so just kind of keeping track of what's going on in those other disciplines is really important. You know, what are some of the hot topics right now? Um, what do people commonly believe about XYZ, whatever they're going into, whether it's uh, psychology or um, uh, medicine or sociology or history or whatever the, whatever's going on, uh, what's going on in their discipline right now, what are some of the common beliefs uh, by people outside the discipline and maybe also, and then of course, people inside the discipline. Um, another one I'd like to spend more time with uh, for the rhetorical analysis at the beginning of the year, you know, in English 1, uh, which is English 105 at GCU. Um, we do a rhetorical analysis every year, and uh, you know I've I've taught that a lot. Uh, but one thing that I think I could still do to uh, uh, improve it is to spend more time with them on commonplaces. You know, doxa, audience. Uh, you know, what is the audience bringing to the table? That's really important, I think, in a rhetorical analysis. And I'm always uh, prompting them and, and pushing them to think about that as they're actually doing their analysis and to include that kind of thinking in their analysis. But I think I could organize that better and give it a term. So doxa, commonplaces, uh, something along those lines, maybe create an audience profile. That's an area that I feel like I need to strengthen. And it wasn't uh, in the material we just covered from my class, but I'm just thinking about you know what I did earlier in the year. Um, additional outside genres from the future they see for them for themselves. I uh, did spend a lot of time this semester 
uh, working on that. And I brought lots of them in because I want them to feel like there's a connection between what we're doing in class and what they see themselves doing. I think that's really important for them to have that connection for uh, the purpose of motivation, uh, just for the purpose of learning generally. Oh, here's how I can use this. And so that, I think, is an important uh, thing to continue to do. I did quite a bit, but I want to do more. Um, one thing I do, like I think I mentioned earlier, is I keep track of their majors and their future careers that they see themselves in. Um, and I, uh, I keep lists of that so that I can then go just find as many as I can because, you know, lots of different students will be going and doing lots of different things and there will be lots of different kinds of writing. And so just bringing in something, you know, for everyone, trying to find something that represents, you know, different cohorts, different groups of students is really helpful. I also would like them to make their own textbook. That's something I've thought about before. Uh, but what I mean by that, it would uh, take place gradually through participation. In, it would consist of a master list of terms and examples. So what I imagine doing, because um, at uh, GCU, uh, we have uh, a curriculum that every instructor follows for a particular course. So in English 106 that I just showed you, that was me uh, helping them meet requirements for the common assignments we have. And we have those because uh, the university is you know, keeping track of student progress. Um, and uh, if everybody's teaching the same assignment, uh, we can do that. And so that's why uh, GCU does that. And uh, so, you know, so we've got three major projects in English 106, but uh, we don't have a portfolio. And you know, I've uh, done portfolios before, of course, uh, in my career, and um, uh, they can be useful. And I think there's, you know, there's still kind of a way to do it. You know, if I during the semester am working with participation because all the classes have participation credit and I get to kind of decide how to do that. One thing that I can do is I can have them keep a list of the material that we are covering, you know, definitions of the terms, um, and I can have them do that by date so that they have kind of a master list of all our terms. And then um, they also have notes that go along with that. And so if uh, they learned about proximity, alignment, repetition, and contrast, or if they learned about the STAR criteria on a given day, They'll have some notes, and there will be a date for that. And there will probably be a piece of material where I had them practice, like with Park. You know, since that's about visual structure, maybe I show them a, uh, uh, you know, something like a dictionary entry or a tweet, just a small genre uh, that's easy to work with in the classroom, and just have them sort of recreate that and maybe label all of the parts just by hand. You know, proximity. Here's an example of proximity. Here's an example of alignment, here's an example of repetition, and here's an example of contrast. And so if I'm doing that consistently through the semester, and I use activities like that for participation credit, and I make sure that it's in their hands, and they are just kind of keeping a notebook full of material like that, which a lot of them do since I do a lot of things by hand, I can get them to create kind of a textbook that just has examples of things that they did. Uh, they can put metacognitive reflections in there. Um, which I also do during class, like I showed you. Sometimes it's just a few sentences. Sometimes I might ask them to write, you know, a 50 or 75-word paragraph about something that we've been learning. Um, and uh, they can compile all of that, just keep it all in one spot so that it's easy for them to access later. And then they've got their own textbook with examples of things we've done in writing. Um, and they can uh, also supplement that with 
uh, the major projects that they did and so on and so forth. So I think that would also help them carry it into the future a little bit better. And that would be my way of doing it simply through participation credit, which I think uh, would benefit them. So I think that's all I have for this episode. I really appreciate having you uh, watch or listen on YouTube or uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. And uh, like I said, I'd like to keep doing it through the summer um, to uh, uh, just kind of uh, keep the momentum going. And part of it's just me kind of thinking through what I'm going to do next year. Uh, part of it is me going through the Elon statement. Uh, and uh, part of it's me uh, reacting to things that are happening in higher ed right now. Um, so chat GPT is a big one. I'd like to continue to cover that. Um, I've done a couple of episodes on that already. If you haven't heard those, you're welcome to uh, go back and take a look. Um, I also, you know, would like to cover other kinds of things. There's a lot in news in higher education right now about um, uh, things like student motivation or belonging or a sense of belonging and uh, things of those nature. And when I see articles about those in uh, somewhere like the Chronicle of Higher Ed or or on a podcast like Ed, Ed Surge or something like that, I uh, it, it gets me thinking. And uh, time permitting, I think I'll spend some time reflecting on that and how that might apply to uh, teaching writing. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I will sign off for now. And uh, in my next episode, I'd like to do some more with chat GPT. I'd like to start thinking about that, uh, mainly because, you know, one thing that's really important about writing is that, you know, in a writing class, students um, shouldn't just be learning to write. That's not really what the goal is. Um, students should be learning about writing. Um, writing is a discipline just like any other uh, discipline that you can think of, and it's got a vocabulary just like any other discipline. Uh, that you can think of. And so having students learn about that is really important uh, for their long-term uh, use of skills that they might learn in college when it comes to writing. So I'm going to keep covering that. And the, you know, uh, that idea of uh, not teaching students to write, but rather teaching them about writing comes from a really important article by uh, Doug Downs and Elizabeth Wardle back in about two se 2007, I think, if I remember right. I'll I've got it uh, set up for, a, 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 I think, my next podcast episode. I'll talk about it more, but a really important one, and I think about that all the time. It's not really that I'm teaching students to write. It's uh, I'm teaching them about writing, and, and that's why I spend so much time with them on this vocabulary and then also practicing it. So anyway, thanks once again, and I will sign off for now, but I will see you next time.